This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. This episode is brought to you by J. Crew. This spring, J. Crew is telling a linen love story. From perfectly rumpled beach cover-ups and effortlessly sexy suiting to button-up shirts from the world-famous Baird McNutt Mill in Ireland, the new J. Crew collection is made to be shared, lived in, and loved for decades and generations to come. Shop linen like you've never seen it. And more new arrivals for spring 2024 at jcrew.com. This episode is brought to you by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast like this one, side hustled your way to concert tickets, or quit your job to stream video games online full-time, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. In this episode, we have an exclusive conversation with Monty Don, recorded at BBC Gardener's World Live. Hosted by presenter and broadcaster Nikki Chapman, the live audience listened in as Monty discussed the ins and outs of filming Gardener's World TV. So, busy filming. How is Longmeadow? Because, I mean, obviously, last few weeks, glorious weather, although you've probably had it a little bit longer well, than us on the East Coast. It's been, it's been hot and it's been exceptionally dry. I mean, we've had very curious weather. Uh, I mean, we all have. Uh, and there's no doubt about it. I always feel that, that gardeners are on the, the front line of climate change and the way that it's affecting weather. And, and it's worth pointing out that climate is one thing, weather is another. Climate affects weather. Weather doesn't affect climate. So you can have very, very hot, dry weather, and it can be getting colder. And you can have very, very cold, wet weather, and it can be getting warmer. And there's no doubt about it, it's getting warmer. But last December at Longmeadow, the temperature went down, it stayed low for a week, and one night dipped down to minus 15, having been 41 in the summer. So that's a drop of over 55 degrees. Yes. Anybody colder than minus 15? We were minus 7 or 8 in London, but that's because we've got pollution. <laughs> I live in the city. It's not warm, it's just polluted. Anybody colder than minus 15? Yeah, where, where were you? Ah, oh, upstate New York, a little bit colder. Yeah. yeah. But well, I mean, it's I mean, a bit of a thing, shock to us. The thing is, is that I've known it reached minus 18 where we are, but it doesn't happen very often. But the point is, 
is not so much the cold, although as a gardener, once you go below about minus 12, things change. It changes. It's almost like it doesn't make a steady drop. You tend to get, you know, down to about minus five, any reasonably hardy plant can cope with that. And then below minus five, some things drop off. And then you creep down to minus seven, eight, nine, ten. And suddenly it goes like that. And all kinds of things say, nope, I'm not doing this. Yeah. Game over. Bang. And that happened to us. So we lost a lot of plants in store, not plants out in the garden. These are stock plants wrapped up in insulated sheds, even heated greenhouse. You, have, you set the heating to keep it at about five degrees. When it's minus 15, it means the heating dro it drops to about minus five because the heating just can't cope with it. So that's a game changer. And last summer, we had, like everyone else, heat and drought. This spring, we had a very wet March, April, and we all thought, great, that's it. And then we, didn't, we had one hour of rain on Saturday, which was the first rain we had since April. It's a long time, isn't yeah. it? So it's very dry at Longmeadow at the moment. We don't do dry. Dry is not part of our vernacular. And yet, you know, we flood, we rain. It's, it's, we never have drought. And yet we're having a drought. So that's what's happening, is extreme weather. And it's not weather that we aren't used to, it's just erratic. It's not following the pattern that we as gardeners know. So we're having to adapt and change, and that's, that's both interesting, demanding, and a bit bothersome. Yeah, we were discussing last night, yeah. weren't we, about watering. Yeah. You were going home to water. Yeah. I was on the phone to my husband, and I said, have you watered the garden, darling? It was about 10 o'clock. Picture this. He was in the garden with something in his hand, some refreshing liquid, shall we say. And I got the text straight back to say, yes, I've watered the garden. And I was thinking, well, that's jolly good. I haven't had to remind him, because obviously I'm up here. And then about 10 minutes later, I got the, I'll do the front garden in the morning. So 50% we were there. Well, yeah, I mean, I got back. Water the greenhouses, water the pots. We never, ever water the borders at Longmeadow. We never have done. In 31 years, they've never been watered. We have, don't have a sprinkler. We don't. One, we, everything we plant, we water in well and give it a good soak. And if individual plants are really suffering, we might water spot water. But we never generally water the borders, and we, but we water the pots. Now, I don't know how many pots we have, but... A lot. That takes its time, doesn't and it? It takes its time. I reckon it takes four hours to water our pots. Does it really? And when the weather's like this, you have to do it every day. Yeah. So how is it when you're filming? Because Gardener's World is so loved and we do feel that we're in your garden with you. And I know you've got some super exciting projects that you're sort of balancing at the moment and you're going off to do some more filming. But when it actually comes to working in the garden, working with the team, mm. how far in advance? What's the whole process? Because for us, we so take it for granted, don't we? We're there every week. What are we going to be doing this week, Monty? But how does it well, actually it's... work? The other day, someone said to me, said, you're a lucky <laughs> I said, by and large, I am. Yes, that's a, uh, my wife would agree, but not the lucky bit. And, um, the, the, so, and he said, all you do is you put around in your garden, Crew turns up for an hour or two a week, films you doing bugger all, and then you get paid a fortune from the likes of me. I said, well, there's a few discrepancies there. <laughs> Let me tell you how it is. First of all, on a Monday morning, usually about 11.30, 12 o'clock, we have a Zoom meeting for the whole production team. And Garner's World has three teams working. 
There are about 50-odd people who work on Gardner's World. There's one team at any one time doing what we call VTs, videotapes, even though we haven't used videotape for 20 years. It's all on SD cards, but anyway, they're called VTs. And that team will plan the inserts, the little films you see, which we do roughly, on average, four a week, and there are 33 programs. So that's well over 100 films they have to make a year. So that's a, oh, and each film that you see takes a week to make. It takes a day of wrecking, a day of shooting, and, and to, do, to book a crew for a day, you have to book them, you have to organize transport, you have to book hotels, you have to, all the kit, all the stock, all the rest of it, a day filming. And then there will be usually two days in the edit, and then a day coloring and, and grading and putting sound on. And the sound, although it's recorded at the time, will be added in after the pictures are done. So it's, it's, and you get the sound levels all right, and it's a technical process. So it's five days' work to make each of those films. There are four in a program, so that's 20 days just for the films. Uh, the stuff I do, the pottering around with a crew in attendance, takes two 12-hour days to film. So that's 24 hours it takes to film that, uh, for which, which lasts about between, depending on how long the films are, 28 and 32 minutes. So on a Monday morning, the team that is working on my side of things meets to have a meeting to plan. Not that week's film. Not the next week's film. But the film we're going to shoot in three weeks' time. And I will have, in the morning, been around the garden and planned exactly what I think will be ready in three weeks. Wow. The film. We film a week ahead. So then that's another juggling trick. I've got to think not only what's going to look good when we film, but what will sort of be relatable to you in your gardens. But you, and I'm sure it's true of this audience, you live in Kent, you live in Aberdeen, you live in Northern Ireland, you live in East Anglia, you live in Wales, you live all over the place. It's not like America, but it, it, the climate change is, you know, it's a huge difference. We have a farm 33 miles away in Wales, and because it's at a thousand feet, everything is 10 days later than Longmeadow. Is that right? 10 days later. And that's 33 miles. Yeah. So just think of the discrepancies around the country. So we plan that. And they will, we'll go through the VTs. And, you know, I'll say, I really want to do something on broad beans. They're going to look great. They'll say, sorry, we've got it in the film. You know, you can't do broad beans. Or I want to do something on fuchsias. Now we've got a fuchsia film coming up in two weeks' time. So we bargain and we juggle and we put it together. I will then write all that up. And with my team in the garden, and I have two full-time gardeners, and I have my son who helps me, and my wife works in the garden when she is disposed to, and she's a very good gardener, uh, and I work in the garden, and we say, right, in order to get these things done, we need to plant this, we need to not prune that, we need to not cut the grass this week because it won't come back, and we plan the whole thing up. The next morning, and keep with this, it gets complicated, at 7.30 the next it's morning... It's already complicated, <laughs> isn't it? The crew turns up to film. Not the film we just talked about, not the film that we prepared the week before, but the one we prepared three weeks before. And I will, when they arrive, they will go around the garden and take what we call the pretties. So all the shots where you see the robin sitting or, you know, just a, a butterfly floating through are done first thing on the, in the morning. In, while they're doing that, I will go and then watch four films and write 
the introduction into them and out of them. And I always take the view that I'm sitting on the sofa with you and I will make a comment that I think I might make if I was watching it at home. And then about, I finished that about half past eight and we film right through to the end of the day. And the next day we take up. And we do roughly 18 setups it takes to do. There are jobs, there are links, there are all kinds of things. Each setup takes about an hour to do. So it's spread across the two days. Uh, then that is gone and edited, and that takes three to four days to edit. And then the whole program has to be put assembled, and it has to go to the executive producer, the commissioning person at BBC, goes through the lawyers. All these different people have to sign it off. And they literally sign it off, and, that, and it's a sort of legal process. Uh, I will then, probably the next Tuesday, record the odd line of voiceover to fit the edit, by which time I'm filming the next program. Not the one I've told you I prepared, but one in between. And so it goes. So when people say to me, what's on, what's on Gardner's World tonight? I always say, do you know, I do not have any idea. <laughs> I, I, because I'm just, I'm holding all these programs. If you think yeah. of 18 in each. So at one, any one time, I can be holding over 40 different things in my head. That's a lot of balls in the air, yeah, it isn't is. it? So as well as running the garden, and the whole thing about filming in the garden is what we're trying to do all the time is, if I plant this now, will it look really good in two or three weeks' time? And if I don't plant it for two or three weeks' time, will it be past its best? You know, if I, and so I'm always trying to work out, with, obsessively with the weather, just to try and make the garden look as good as possible for that programme. For that time. Um, we're going to be looking at tonight's programme, aren't we, in a different way? Well, you won't because it's all here. Well, that's true. Next week. No, we won't next week. No, it's you. Adam. It's Adam. No, so we, we I, love Adam. Because the other thing is, is I, I don't know if any of you watch them. I did, I've done a whole load of series, Japan, America, uh, Italy, the Islamic world. I'm doing one on Spain at the moment, on the Adriatic. Uh, I did around the world. Uh, and so I disappear for two weeks at a time to go and film these programs. And so when I do that, that's when Adam or Francis or someone else takes over, which is great because otherwise I have to film two or three programmes back to back. And if you think it's complicated doing it one a week, imagine how complicated it is doing two or three a week. So, so that's good. There's that backup and that, you know, I think it's good that we get different people doing it. And that's a very important part of my filming life. I really, really enjoy doing those. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by TurboTax. TurboTax experts make all your moves count. 
filing with 100% accuracy, and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast like this one, side hustled your way to concert tickets, or quit your job to stream video games online full-time, switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. And where Monty is brilliant, because I'm lucky enough, if you've seen the Chelsea Flower Show coverage, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a small part of a very big team. But what I really appreciate what I'm watching Gardeners World is if you think about it, have you ever asked someone to tell you a story and about 10 minutes later, they're still going strong and you're like, get to the point, get to the point. Because Monty's having to go through so much when he's filming, he's got to make sure all those salient points are made within three and a half, four minutes. Because otherwise, he knows it's going to end up on the cutting room floor because they've got other elements to put in. And that is one of the fantastic things where you make it so accessible and you give us the information in one go. That's very nice of you. But um, it is true because you're, you're... Let's say we're talking about, I don't know, pruning climbing roses, okay? Which is... Fairly straightforward, but there's a, something, there's certain points you have to get across. So you'll do it, and the director will say, well, that was great. Do it again in half the time. <laughs> and uh, as you point out, you have to, because otherwise they're going to cut it. Yeah. And I want to make sure they keep in the, the really important stuff, which means that you keep it in time. And I think that a lot of people don't understand why we do things four, five, six times. And there are a number of reasons for that, because first of all, sound. You can't edit out sound. You can edit in sound, but you can't edit it. Well, you can, they do in movies. It's incredibly expensive, because you have to do it unit of sound by unit of sound. I mean, it's like pixels at a time. So if a plane goes overhead or a motorbike roars by or a chainsaw starts up, you have to stop. You stop and let it go. And that's the main reason we stop. The second thing is that we have two cameras filming Gardner's World, but we may want three or four different angles. And every time you see a different angle or a different size on your screen, we shot the whole thing again. So we shoot it three, four times always because you, you don't just want a star. I mean, anybody who's seen a bloke on YouTube saying, this is how to grow a rose. And you can see someone holding a camera like that in front of them. <laughs> 10 minutes later, you're still looking at the brick wall behind them and, and they done You die of boredom. So very occasionally, we do something in one take and the director says, that was all right. And you're saying, are you happy? Better do it again. <laughs> just <laughs> you know, in case. Just in case. They can't really believe. It happens so <laughs> rarely that it's all perfect first time that there's always a discussion. Can we, can, could we just leave it at that? Mm, probably not. You know? And then you do it again and it's never as good. No, always take the so, first and one. Because, and because it's never as good, you say, well, we better do it again to try and make it better. And after about four or five takes, they use the first one. Yeah. Whenever I do my pieces to camera for Escape to the Country, they yeah. say, oh, that was great. We'll get one in the can just yeah. in case. And then I always get the words wrong. Yeah. It's a very close network. It's a very close team that you work with. And you've worked with a lot of the the guys and girls there for many, many years. But I've also got to bring in the additional members of the team that don't sort of carry the equipment, but certainly add to the end of it. And they are your dogs. What's it like filming with your pets? I have deep rage and jealousy filming with my dogs because they hog the whole thing. I spend... I had a dog called Nigel. I don't know if any of you knew him. 
I spent, you know, 30 years building a career and that little sod came along and stole the limelight. <laughs> he, he used to upstaged. stop, just to blow, oh, completely upstaged me. You'd do this thing, it's, you know, you, you'd be filming and I don't know, that's how wheeling a wheelbarrow in and the director would say, there, you're talking to a camera over there and, and then we'll put another one for the close-up and you talk us through it and then we'll cut and then we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. So you're ready, and he said, and if Nigel's with you, that's fine, that's okay. And Nigel will be just lying here, sort of taking no notice. And I would push, ready, sound, yes, yeah, sound ready, camera, action. Come in, wheel the wheelbarrow, and I would start to talk in a fascinating way about something. <laughs> and suddenly I noticed the camera would be just move away from me. <laughs> and this dog would just sort of saunter in. <laughs> like this, his tail might just... <laughs> And then he'd lie exactly in a pit patch of golden light. And, the, the, you know, the camera said, oh, that's just fantastic. Oh, it looks great. It looks wonderful. And that happened all the time. All the time. He was, he, I mean, like, in, I'm joking apart. It was uncanny. He was ready for his close-up. I tell you that I, you know, they say never work with children and animals. It was uncanny how he always did the right thing at the right time. And the other thing about Nigel was that he would do six takes, the same. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nelly is a, sort of gets bored. She gets bored, she comes, says, OK, ready for my close-up. OK, did you do it? No, oh, bye. You know, and flounces <laughs> off and you have to get her back. Um, Patty, when we're in lockdown, we filmed Gardner's World by remote control. Complete, I'll tell you about it in a minute. But it was, um, we, we had these remote cameras operated by people in cabins outside the garden. I never saw them. I never met them. And um, one day, Patty was with me, and she's often in the garden with me, and one of these cameras fell and just missed her by a whisker. Ever since then, she greets the crew in the morning. She's great. She sees a tripod and gone. Absolutely gone. Which is why you never see her on screen now, except for when I'm holding her. Yes, you hold her. Yeah, because if I put her down, she looks at them and runs away. And then what's extraordinary is the minute they put the tripods away, she's in amongst them quite happy. Yeah, yeah, she knows. Uh, and Ned is shaping up to be a bit like Nigel. He just How old is he now? 11 Ten, months. 11 months. And he is a handful. He's a bloke. He's, <laughs> he's Ned bloke. Uh, and he, he's... They're all with N, aren't they, apart from Patty? We'll begin with N. Well, they had to begin with N. Golden Retrievers in the Don household had to begin with N. Really? Yeah, no, it's a thing. <laughs> um, and he just likes to be with me. So wherever I am, he is. So, and he's not bothered by the camera. I don't think he quite knows what's going on. Seems like jolly good fun, but yeah. doesn't know what it is. And that's the way it is. And I probably get more questions about my dogs than about anything else uh, well, but you know I love them Isn't they're part of the garden and they're completely part of the garden what people don't know is we have two other dogs that never appear on camera do you yeah we have they don't begin with n obviously <laughs> well we have peggy and we have uh, meg one is a sheep dog meg who spends most of her time chasing sheep because we have some sheep and Peggy is a dachshund, and she is shy. Oh. She's very sweet. 
Can she not make a little appearance? Well, she could do, but but she's lost the habit. And it's bad enough dealing with the prima donnas like Nigel <laughs> and Ned. <laughs> Fighting and for space on television. Yeah. <laughs> and when's the... Um, and I, I realise we're... The, Racing through the town, yeah. but when do you finish filming? When's October the 20th we finish. But I sometimes see on social media saying, why don't you film in winter and why don't you do this? As if I had any choice in the matter. Yeah. Well, these things are decided by commissioners and schedulers a year in advance at least. So what we're doing now, there's no, there's no way anybody involved in Ghana's world has any say in what we put out, you know, when the programmes go out. They don't have any say when they appear on telly or how many programmes we do. We are told you are doing X and, and that's it. So round about next December, I will know exactly what we're doing next year. Or no, this December, sorry, this year. Yeah. Um, I would quite like to film in the winter. The, there are two problems. One is you run out of material and light. You know, it doesn't really get light till about half past eight and it gets dark from half past three. So it's a very short filming day and everything looks a bit brown. And two, what people don't realise is, is once you've done a subject, you can't do it again. Whereas gardening, you, one of the good things about gardening is you repeat things. It's not like, you know, you weed and then say, oh, I can't weed the garden for the rest of the year because I did that last Thursday. It's, but that's what happens on telly. You know, <laughs> that was certainly a great feeling. It's, it's you know, if, if I, for example, do something on beetroot in April, unless there's something distinctly different about it, that's it for the year. I've done beetroot. And that in winter, of course, your subject's matters get much fewer. Yeah. You have far less to see. So part of me feels better leave people wanting more. Part of me feels it would be quite nice. I don't know. It's quite Certainly nice. Certainly do around. by spring. We're desperate. Yeah, it's exactly. always, it's always, you know, they say, what's the first sign of spring? It is when Gardener's World is back. And you just think, oh, it lifts the spirits. Monty, as ever, such a delight. Thank you very much. Hello, this is Kevin from the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation recorded at BBC Gardener's World Live, why not join us at our autumn fair at Audley End in Essex? It's taking place from the 1st to the 3rd of September and there'll be plenty of live chat on the magazine stage, plus beautiful borders, showcase gardens and loads of plants to buy. Find out more and get tickets at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. 